0: Run, DeSantis, Run, DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump,
1: and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a Civil War soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it just shows just because the Civil War is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snapbook, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done a society because they were non Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snapbook, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway.
0: Back in the good old days. You could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there and we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000. If they, borrow. they might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest.
1: And now here are your Hackers of the Week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzola. Welcome back into the Snap Hook Part 2 Sports Time here with Tim and Scott Barzilla. Scott, it's combine time as we get to see all the NFL prospects prance around in their underwear and Show us how good they look when nobody's guarding them. Aren't you excited?
0: Oh yeah, and I've heard somebody else refer to it as the underwear Olympics. I find that just you know completely hilarious because you know, and obviously we we lead off the back because there's always a star of every combine. And if you're listening to this, the combine did occur this last weekend, and the combine star was obviously Anthony Richardson, quarterback, University of Florida. And I did a, um, you know, I did a little statistical dis, uh, stat dive into, uh, into the quarterbacks because I wrote an article for uh, Battle Red blog where I asked the question, and, and we can throw this around here too, you know, do the Texans want to draft two quarterbacks? You know, do you want to draft one with that second overall pick? Maybe you want to draft one on day two or three, you know, because the Washington uh, then Redskins did that years ago. They did, they drafted Robert uh, Griffin, the third, and then they had Kirk cousins in the fourth round. And, you know, that ended up working out really well for them because when RJ three went down, Kirk Cousins was there and I was looking it up and Anthony Richardson was the second, had the second worst quarterback rating, any quarterback that's in the draft. But you know what? He can do a standing broad jump over 10 feet. He can do it. He can jump 40.5 inches in the air. He can throw a football 60 miles an hour. These are all either combine records or near records. So, you know, he was the heaviest quarterback ever to run a sub-4 540. Again, impressive. Now, if we take the 40 out of that conversation, I want to ask you, Tim, when was the last time that you saw a quarterback do a standing broad jump on the football field?
1: Uh, it's tough. I might have to phone a friend here, but I'm, I'm going to go with never. I mean, maybe, actually, I'll take it back. Maybe, like, you could consider some of the Cam Newton jumps or the, the goal line plays. So maybe Cam, like, I, I guess would be the closest to it would be a Cam Newton Superman dive.
0: Uh, and, and unless we're doing a jump pass a la 10 Tebow. I don't know if that vertical jump is really going to do a whole lot for you on a football field, but you know, I'm not a scout, so I could be wrong.
1: I Richardson intrigues me, Scott. I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy who falls in love with, with combine numbers, but I mean, just as, as an athlete, I think guys, an unbelievable athlete, right? When you you look at the size and the speed, and he's got a heck of an arm, but I don't know if if he had all these tools in college, why didn't he show that in college? I guess is my question mark. And and people will say, well, you know, look at Lamar Lamar Jackson in college, and and the answer should be yes. Go look at Lamar Jackson in college. Lamar Jackson was a pretty efficient quarterback, and. Yeah, he played in a, a lesser conference. He was throwing a wide open receiver sometimes. But at the end of the day, guy put up great numbers. And you, the argument against him was the conference that he played in. This guy's playing in the SEC where, I don't know, if you put up really good numbers at a, as a quarterback, that helps your case, right? That's why we're, we're giving Bryce Young the, the run that he's getting as a, as a as a potential quarterback in the NFL because he everything he did, he did it in the SEC. So with with Richardson, that's what scares me a little bit. Is you're in the SEC, you have this unbelievable athletic talent. Where I'm supposed to believe that's going to be moldable and translated into an NFL game, and you like you weren't able to do it. Yes, I mean I've seen some tape on him, and Scott, some of the throws he makes in this in these the little highlight clips. You're like, wow, man, guy's got some talent. Plus that speed, plus that size. I don't know. But I don't, I don't love it at two. I don't love it at 12. If you could find a way to get back into the first round at like 28, 29, or even if you got him at 33, totally different conversation, right? Like at least to me, but it it all goes to if they sign somebody else, but yeah, he's, someone's going to take the plunge on this kid. I, I guarantee you he's taken within the first 35 picks of the draft. I I know maybe his tape shouldn't be, but you're saying within the first 10? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you're not going to get him late. So I, I don't like him at 12. I really don't. And I definitely don't love him at two. But he's he's done some impressive things in front of everybody. You can't, you can't deny that. But you know who else did some really impressive things in front of everybody? Jamarcus Russell, Jake Locker, uh, Ryan Tannehill. All uh, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, all these guys put on good performances. With Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson shot up draft boys for a pro day workout where he could hit every route you could imagine. Well, that's great. There's no defenses there. I mean, it's it's good to know that you have a cannon. But, Scott, how often is there just never anybody coming at you, and you can just pro, crow hop and just let it rip as far as you can. Never. You gotta manipulate a pocket and throw in a game environment. You're not getting 70 yards out in that scenario. So some of this is meaningless stuff. Some of it's good data. I think the most important part of the of the combine is is the meetings that players have with coaches and scouts, and and we're not privy to that part. So, you know, some of the stuff I've read about him is they said he was really far behind in his football IQ. And you never know with those guys because you've seen reports come out of, of some of the questions that are asked in these meetings that are awful. But you know, at least from the original scuttlebutt around the league, is that that Richardson is a little bit behind in, in the football IQ.
0: Yeah, what I actually and I, and I think I may have sent this name to you because you mentioned him. What he reminds me of physically is Cam Newton, big guy. I mean, he's like he's he's over, he's over two hundred forty pounds. So if you you know if you have that worry about you know Bryce Young you know being just you know absolutely just demolished and you know Richardson's not that guy Richardson he's a big boy, um, and in terms of arm talent, he I don't know if he's quite at Michael Vick's level, but you know Michael Vick could throw the ball, you know, forever. You know, he could probably stay on his own goal line and practically almost get it to the end of the goal line. But you know, and, and the thing that's that's intriguing about Richardson at the combine is the one thing that I did not mention is when he was throwing against air. He was accurate most of the time. So here's the question that you know, as a scout you gotta you gotta ask and answer for yourself. Is this happening because maybe he had bad mechanics at Florida? And he's got a quarterbacks coach who's been working with him ever since the season ended, and now he's gotten better. That would be the good news. Or the bad news is his accuracy is not the problem, and that's not why he had fifty three percent. The reason he's got fifty three percent is because he cannot process coverages or blitz packages. You mentioned football IQ, um, and and really the sad thing is I, you know, when I was growing up. The standard was that when you drafted a quarterback, no matter where you drafted him, he was sitting for at least a year. When the uh, when the Oilers drafted Steve McNair, they drafted him number three overall. Um, they drafted him out of Alcorn State, so the numbers that he put up at Alcorn State were just cartoon numbers. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But you know who was he? Uh, who was he doing this against? Chris Chandler was the quarterback for two years before McNair even saw the field. Now, if you could sit there and tell me that, A, we could sit Richardson down for a year like the Chiefs did with Mahomes and just, you know, coach him up and, you know, just build him up from the ground up and that Texas fans would be patient with that because in order to get him, you're getting him at number two overall. You're not getting him at 12. Somebody's going up to pick this guy. He might get a GM fired, but somebody's going to go up and pick this guy in the top 10. If you pick him at number two, even if you were to pick up, let's say, a Jimmy Garoppolo, would the fans accept Jimmy Garoppolo being your quarterback for a year while Richardson learned? I just, the modern NFL, that's hard. I mean, the Chiefs managed to do it because they had Alex Smith, and Alex Smith was, you know, an honest to God good quarterback, and they could do that. I, I don't know if, the, if that guy is out there that you would have enough faith in that he could quarterback your team, be good enough to where you, you can play competitive football, and allow this guy and also be a good teammate to Anthony Richardson because he needs all the help that he could get. Because I've heard you know the same things about that's that's uh, going to be the intriguing you, thing too. Heard? You mentioned Scott. Is, I've heard that his can they be a good teammate? Absolutely terrible at University of Florida. Maybe that's gotten better uh, with you know some you know, one-on-one work with a quarterback's coach. Maybe that's why he threw better at the combine, and if that's true, that's great. But I, you know, I just don't know if he's ready from day one to be a great quarterback. And you know, let's say he has Cam Newton's career. What does that mean? Is that good enough for a number two overall pick?
1: That's where that's where it's so tough because depending on where you go with that number two overall pick, right? If, if you go on the, it it, theoretically, if you go on the defensive side of the ball, if you took the best defensive option available at number two, you expect him to come in and produce day one, right? That's pretty much the thought process. If when, when the Texans took Andre Johnson that high in the draft, they, they expect him to come in and start day one when they took, DeAndre Hopkins in the first round, these are impact positions that you have a chance to to change your football team with. So to take someone at two and to then say, I know that this is a future investment. I know that this isn't going to pay off this year. And I know that I'm still going to have to go pay somebody $35 million on top of what I'm going to pay this guy. It's scary. It's scary. It's, you know, right. It's the kind of stuff that, that gets guys fired. But then the question is, if, if we compare him to Cam Newton and you look at, you know, Cam Newton at his best, right? The year he took the Panthers to the Super Bowl. He's a 60, 59, 60 percent completion rate, I think is what you're looking at there. He's going to put up some yards. He's going to turn the ball over. But at the same time, he's going to run for damn near a thousand, and he's going to put ten more in the ground on the on his feet. And even at that time, I think Cam Newton had terrible receivers. I mean, he was Troy. Smith. Uh, um, I think it was Troy Smith or the. Oh, uh, uh, who? Oh, uh, gosh! It wasn't Troy Smith. It was the receiver from uh, Ohio State. Um, the who went to Miami out of college, out of uh, originally drafted. But it'll come back to me. And then he had uh, Benji- Kelvin Benjamin, who couldn't stay off the buffet line. And then he had Greg Olson. And he had some good running backs, right? Everything was designed to get the ball into the hands of his running backs for the tight end was where a lot of that action came through. But if if you can take Cam Newton, who's been a 4,000-yard a passer, you take him and you put him with a modern – offensive coordinator who knows how to use guys a little bit better that are mobile um i don't know is that something you can win with in today's nfl because cam newton pretty darn durable competitive has had and what made cam special was he had the it factor right that that will to win that the best half we don't know if anthony richardson has that yet because we haven't we haven't seen it and i i think myself especially when cam went number one overall i thought the panthers were crazy i thought that was a terrible pick i think looking back on it you could easily say they made the right pick there but cam won a national championship and was a heisman trophy winner richardson is a is a combine darling who's being compared to cam that's to me that's where it gets scary if I think the, the conversation is different. If, if Richardson's coming out of Florida right now, Scott, as a national champion and a Heisman trophy winner, and then he goes and puts those numbers up at the combine, I think you feel a lot, a lot different about drafting him number two overall. Instead, he was a guy who, you know, achieved m- middling success in the SEC, didn't put up huge numbers and then scored at the combine. And the question is, why didn't you do it in the game?
0: Right, and I I just went a deep dive here, looked up Cam's numbers um, on the Pro Football Reference site I like to go to. You had him pretty well pegged. I don't know if you were looking at the numbers when you said it, but his his completion percentage was fifty nine point eight percent, which back in two thousand fifteen is still done.
1: Yeah, I mean Peyton Ugh. and Tom were near seventy. To Breeze yeah. was. Up near seventy four, seventy five, at his best well, season.
0: Well, and what the and, and what I've heard, I've been listening to uh, the NFL radio station uh, here on occasion. And what the one of the ones the guy said is that you could take a college completion percentage and subtract ten percent, and that's where a guy's going to start, you know, the pros. So you know, if you're looking at a guy who completed seventy percent in college. You know, sixty percent as a starting off point terrible you get a guy that's at 53 percent you say he's going to complete 43 percent i mean that you can't no you can't go there now uh he did have uh uh, came Newton did have greg olson so no great wide receivers but he has a hall of fame tight end um so you know he had something Uh, i think he had steve smith later on uh but he didn't i mean he
1: did he did have steve smith for a time and um but I think with Cam though 10. that
0: yeah, I was gonna say the
1: the completion percentage with Cam is a little misleading because he threw such a good deep ball that he could get away with that fifty nine point eight percent completion rating because Steve Smith could burn you and they had some they had some speed guys on the outside where you had to respect Cam's ability as a runner so you had to bring the safeties in so you could get away with a fifty nine percent completion rating when a lot of those were were big chunk plays. We don't know if Richardson's going to have that same ability there.
0: Right. That's where you look at other numbers. You know, for those of you who want to do a statistical deep dive, that's when you look at, you know, net yards per attempt uh, is one I like to look at, you know, because the the benchmark there is usually seven. You want seven yards or greater. And I think that year he was at like 7.8 yards per attempt. So, yeah. You're, you're either you're generating uh, down the field throws or you're, you're generating yards after the catch, you know. And so and the point is, is that you could, you know, when Cam was healthy, you could build an offense around what Cam could do. And Carolina did a great job of doing that. Um, but, you know, I don't know if we're going to do that here. Just moving on. So, and I, I think, you know, for, if we're finishing conversation on the quarterbacks, um, I think. Well, Young did not throw. Nobody expected him to. Uh, he weighed in 204 pounds. Uh, I don't know if he had a few extra, you know, seven-layer burritos from Taco Bell to kind of get himself over the top there. I can't imagine he's going to play at 204. You know, when the, when his pro day comes up, you're, you're, he's probably going to end up losing some of that weight because they're not going to weigh him at the pro day. Uh, C.J. Stroud threw, threw well. And I think C.J. Stroud is a finished product, more or less. He's a guy you could start day one. I don't know how good he's going to be. Some people have compared him to Jared Goff, and you know, if you're comparing him to Jared Goff, then I mean, uh, that's okay. Um, But I just don't know. I mean, especially Will Levis. You know, he he obviously has the stronger arm, but you know, I, I made this analogy. Um, in my article that actually ran today on Will Levis to Moneyball. And if you watch, anybody's watched the movie Moneyball, they've read the book, there's a scene where Billy Bean is talking to the scouts. And he's talking to the scouts about this one hitter, and he says, like, they say, he really does a good job of recognizing the, the curveball. So Billy Bean just asks, why is he still swinging at it? And then, you know, well, if you give him 500 at-bats, he'd, he'd figure it out. Really? And, and, and In some cases, it's that stupid. I mean, Will Levis, it's like, he can make all the throws. When? When is he going to make all the throws? And yet, you know, his numbers, you know, probably in some cases are worse than Richardson's, you know. So what are we doing? You know.
1: Let me give you a scenario here, Scott, because I think this one's in- interesting. Obviously, uh, the Bears have mentioned they're willing to deal that, that first pick, right? Let's say somebody comes in. God forbid they take Bryce Young. Bryce Young's off the board at one. You, you, do you go for C.J. Stroud at two? Do you – you know, to me at this point, if I'm going to take a Project QB, I'm taking Richardson over Le- Levis, right? To me, it, it, At that point, if I'm going with both guys who didn't quite show it to me in college, why not go with the one who's got the better – overall athletic ability so then you know that's the question is where where are you willing to take that gamble you know what guy in this draft are you willing to roll the dice on at number two if and when Bryce Young comes off the board at one
0: well and this is where the other big story from the combine comes in right because the other big story was Jalen Carter because my answer might have been Jalen Carter number two Get that, you know, game-changing defensive tackle in the middle of your defense. I mean, we don't – and just to give everybody an idea, the Texans' run defense was not the worst of the season. It was the worst in my lifetime. I am 49 years old. The last time somebody gave up more rushing yards – in a season was the New England Patriots back in 1972. Now there were some teams that gave away more yards per carry than the Texans, but let's well, just, but so if somebody came to me and sit there and said, gosh, we got to shore up the middle of the defense, I'd be like, okay, I, I, I may not agree completely with that line of thinking, but I understand it. You know, but now we get to the Jalen Carter news. And this is the one where I initially, you know, we talked back and forth. And here's, and for those of y'all that don't know what happened to Jalen Carter. So uh, after uh, he won the national championship game, they went out to a bar, had some drinks. And then there were, there was a staffer and two players in one car. And he was in another car. I don't know who else was with him, but he was driving. They decided to get into a race, going over 100 miles an hour. The other car crashes, and two of the three people in the vehicle are dead, so the staffer's dead and one of his teammates is dead. Shelly Carter, stick around, you know, to wait for the, the ambulance or wait for the police. No, boom, he's gone. Now, on the one hand, you could you could sit there and look at him as a, you know, from a scumbag. You know, you can say, say he's a scumbag, but what are the odds that he had alcohol in the system because one of the two people, uh, I think the driver of the other vehicle, she blew a 0.19. So chances are, you know, Jalen Carter had some, had some pops. And if he has some pops then he's charged with DUI, in addition to the reckless driving and the leave of the scene of an accident that he did. Now, those are misdemeanors that he got charged with. So he's not going to serve any jail time. Um, and, and this is where we get to the dividing point of what is, you know, stupid young kid and what is potential scumbag. And this is a hard one because if I'm being honest, uh, if my parents are uh, listening to this, then they will not learn something new. But uh, they bought me a Camaro when I was 18 years old. And I had some friends that had some Mustangs. And so we went over to Red Bluff, which I know Tim is familiar with, and we raced those cars. I went over 100. I know my, I knew my Camaro, I knew it topped out at 130. That's, you know, I knew that. And so i had done that a couple of times. Now, did any of us crash? No. Were any of us drunk? No. Were we stupid? Hell yeah, we were stupid. I mean, and and everybody, I think, if they're really being honest with themselves, has done something stupid when they were kids. I remember when we worked at Clear Lake Country Club, uh, when we played golf there, we were required to work. And so we would have to go out and, like, take care of the bunkers late. And so we figured out they had a little governor on uh, on on the carts that you could bend just slightly. And if you bend it just slightly, those carts would go up to 30 miles an hour. You know, so we're sitting here driving those carts. We're we're jumping over bunkers. I mean, we're just, we're racing back to the clubhouse. We're doing stupid stuff that at any point in time could have caused anybody major damage. But we were lucky. These things didn't happen. Now, the difference is that by the time I was 21, I wasn't doing stupid stuff like that anymore. Um, Jalen Carter's 21. He's doing stupid stuff. Now, is it something he's going to grow out of? Is it something that we sit there and say, well, because there was an accident with fatalities that we're going to treat it differently? I could see a definite argument for that. If you want to sit there and say, well, you fled the uh, scene of an accident and let a teammate die. Yeah, I, that, that doesn't have a good look to it. But on the flip side, you could sit there and say, man, he has just gone through a scare. Maybe he wakes up and goes like, man, that was some stupid shit I did. I, I'm never doing that again. So if you're a you know a general manager, if you're a scout and you're looking at Jalen Carter, I mean, what do you see?
1: I I see exactly what you're talking about, and I actually I want to pose a question back to you. Theoretically, you know, Texans someone jumps in at one, be wise off the board, Bryce young is gone. Texans decide for whatever reason at two they're uncomfortable with Jalen Carter there. After everything that's gone down, they go Anderson at 2. Now Carter starts falling. Theoretically, you're on the board again at 12, and Carter's still there available. And my question to you, Scott, is that if there's character issues for a guy at 2, do you have those same character issues for a guy at 12? So I think, to me, that's the answer to the question, right? If you're fine with picking that guy, if he fell to you to the 12th pick because of these character issues and you feel like you got a steal, I think that's the that's the answer to you. Do you feel comfortable taking him? Because, obviously, the, the answers to all the questions you asked are going to come from the interview process, which you and I aren't privy to, right? We're not going to hear him be literally asked, tell me what happened that night. <laughs> did you, What did you learn? You know, everything that goes with it. So... I, I guess, you know, we'll get the answer where if the Texans pass on him at two, in my opinion, you should pass on him again at 12. That's And I'm not saying that's the right way, but I'm, if your thought process is that this guy doesn't have the character that we're looking for, and we're going to pass, and it's only because of character, it's not because of talent, then you'd have to pass on him again at 12, because you don't believe in his character. Otherwise, you know, you get a great steal, okay, but... I don't know that to me, that's an interesting thought process. If, it, if he falls, cause you passed based on, you know, all this that goes around, do you pick him at 12? Do you pick him at 33? If he's to the second round, which I don't think happens, but I, I think those are realistic questions.
0: I think, uh, but I think there's another scenario is if you're Nick Casario, and you, and, and we've seen this happen before. I mean, Larry fell, you know, because he had that, you know, whole big, big ball incident, you know, in which we were talking about marijuana in yesterday's episode. So here we go, leaking politics to sports. You know, how, how silly is that? Um, but the other, you know, you had a Morden Sab. I think, was the one I remember falling, just for pure character issues, and he goes on to be a Hall of Famer. My question with J. Lee Carter would be is, I think you have an issue of immaturity. So... Is it an issue that's going to keep him off the field? I mean, that's the purest way that I could put it. Because he has enough physical talent to where I would take him at 12. If I were to sit there and say, Will Anderson is a sure thing, he's a great kid and a physically gifted player, we get to 12, my God, you realize what you could do to your defense with those two guys if they're both playing. However, if you're sit, if you're going to sit there and say, you know what, this kid hadn't learned a damn thing. He's going to be an idiot. He's going to get arrested again for something. We're going to end up losing him. Yeah, go ahead and pass on it. But to me, if you think he's going to be on the field, or if you think maybe D'Amico Ryan's is the guy that's going to get through to him, and I could see that scenario definitely. That, I mean, you talk about what you've done to your defense with those two guys. My God. I mean, I don't know that you would be in San Francisco's territory, but you'd be at least a middle-of-the-pack defense at worst with those two guys.
1: And obviously this is a a completely hypothetical, right? Because even if if the Texans pass on him at two, I don't don't foresee a scenario where he falls to us at 12 again. I just – there's going to be some team out there – you know, the Oakland Raiders still have a football pick right there. They'll have their say on somebody like that. Or I don't know, but it's a completely hypothetical, but I think it's an interesting one where if you pass on a guy for character issues at two, but the talent is overwhelming, you're right. If you go Will Anderson and Jalen Carter is, you know, two and 12 overall, we forget about trying to find a quarterback. We'll figure that out, right? You know, you could be a pretty solid football team, if you if you play defensively in that draft maybe go get maybe at that point you trade back in using your 33rd pick and something else and and, and go get one of those quarterbacks that are still there because if if it's going that way maybe there's somebody available that you know maybe if Will Levis falls to 28th in the draft okay let's go let's go back in late in the first round and get that guy i can see that happening and and that would be a hell of a defense but all that again it's it's contingent upon what did that conversation go like? Because again, he's 21, 22 years old. He just won the national championship, right? I mean, guy's high on life. Maybe drunk. We don't know. Again, it all just depends on what was said between him and the GMs. And, you know, does D'Amico feel like this is somebody who's willing to buy him what I want to do here? Is this just somebody who, like you said, I can trust that they're going to be available every single Sunday or Thursday or Monday, but every single game, they're going to be available. Injury is one thing, but there's not going to be anything off the field that's taking their attention away from being a part of a winning football team. If the Texans feel comfortable with that, I don't care if you take them at two or 12, right? If you feel like good at the end of the day, this guy's talent warranted a number two overall pick and if you took him at two after Bryce Young got picked, okay, I get it. If you get him at twelve. That's a <laughs> that's a dream. As long as you're okay with with the human being that he is, um, I, I think that's it's, it's an interesting. It's one to track, and and everything's so so fluid now, right? We're a month out about from that draft, and this is about the time where you see. The smoke screens going up. Player, you know, starting to link players to certain teams. Something out of left field. But we've also, Scott, we've started to see some movement on the quarterback market. Right? We've seen Carr going to uh, New Orleans. We've seen uh, Lamar Jackson signed the non-exclude. He got non-exclusive franchise tagged. And so there's going to be some movement here in the next month that I think is going to influence. Some of the teams, but I do think we're going to see we're going to see some interesting some movement, especially at that number one pick. I really I don't think the Bears stay there, and then at that point you're looking at Atlanta, you're looking at Indianapolis, who needs a quarterback. There's a lot of teams in this league that uh, need a quality quarterback out there, and. Texans are going to be in some competition if they decide at two to pass. You know, if they're going to wait to number 12, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And the, I, I think you're right. As of now, if they don't go quarterback at two, I think it's Jalen Carter. But unless we learn more about what happened with his, with his police case, but um, we'll see what happens.
0: Right. And, I, and you mentioned quarterback carousel, and this is going to have a direct impact. Uh, you're absolutely right on where teams go. So let me, let me clean up on aisle three here uh, just to give everybody an update as to what has happened up to this point. Uh, Daniel Jones today, four years, $40 million a year. Um, I'm, I'm just going to suppress the urge not to laugh because I, I think that's just a hilariously stupid contract on the Giants part. Uh, Geno Smith has re-upped with Seattle for three years. And you mentioned Derek Carr to the Saints for about thirty-five million a year, and then um, yeah, and you mentioned Lamar Jackson, which which for for those for the rules, everybody understands that he can negotiate with any other team, he can re- reach a contract um, with any other team, and then the other team would have to send two first-round picks to Baltimore uh, if Baltimore chose not to match that contract. Okay, so that's where we're at in terms of the – and Aaron Rodgers is meeting with the Jets. That's where we're at. Um, so here's my question to you. I'm going I'm to give you three roads that you can go down, right? Um, you can go down the one veteran quarterback, I'll let you take your pick, and one rookie quarterback, I'll let you take your pick, of who those two guys are. That's road number one. Road number two would be I'm going to go one of the four top quarterbacks, and then I'm going to pick one later on in day two or three to be another you know guy on, this, on, the, on the staff, because I know you've mentioned uh, U of H's former quarterback is a guy you like. Road number three, we're going to sign Lamar Jackson. We'll just give Baltimore two picks. So
1: you've got one of those three roads. Which one do you take it? Honestly, I think at this point for me, Scott, it's, it's option two. And that's only because I don't think the Texans acted fast enough on option one. I think um, at this point with the veteran quarterbacks that are left available, I mean, do you really want, if you're going to draft a young guy, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is, is the guy to, to bring him wrong. He's, Shown in San Francisco, he wasn't really there to help Trey Lance be the best quarterback that he can be. So for that reason alone, I, I don't want Jimmy Garoppolo if I'm if I'm drafting one of these top guys. Um, and then in that scenario, I'm I'm gonna want to go with with uh, let me take I guess in that case, let me take the best quarterback available at two, and then I'll come back in the fifth or sixth round and I'll get a guy like Clayton Tune that. I feel like probably he's going to have similar skill sets to whoever I'm taking because Tune is—he's big, he's mobile, he can throw on the run, he can sit in the pocket, he's smart. Um, and on top of it, we've seen you know air raid quarterbacks. Have we talked about backup Qs, QBs last week? We've seen quite a few air raid guys make make quite a quite a bit of money over their careers as as strong backup QBs. Uh, Graham Harrell, Chase Daniel, uh, quite a few guys in the NFL. Held that position after running the air raid in college, so not like Clayton couldn't do it, but I, I just I don't like the idea of of giving up two first round picks for Lamar Jackson and paying him. If I got to pay him, that's one thing I get it. You got to pay the top talent to go get him, but to have to trade him and then pay him and give him that Deshaun Watson kind of tra- contract, which is what he's going to want, that scares me because how am I going to surround this guy with weapons? If, if I want him to be successful and, and everyone says the reason he wasn't six as successful as he could have been in Baltimore, because he didn't have the weapons on offense. Okay. If I have to trade two first round picks to go get you and give up a, we'll say 40% of my cap to sign you, where are you going to get those weapons from? We don't already have them in the cabinet. Brandon cooks wants out. He's you know, trying to backtrack a little bit now, but I don't know if ownership wants that guy around if he's got that kind of attitude. So, you know, to me, the question is if, if I'm going to give up that kind of capital and cap space, to go get a guy. Um, I, I don't know how I'm going to put a competitive team around him when I've done all that just to get you in the door. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at the Broncos, right? Yeah. The Broncos gave up a ton to go get Russell and a ton of cap space Now they're screwed. They're they're stuck with Russell Wilson. They have no way, realistically, to go get talent to make that team better, and they can't get away from that contract for another like four or five years.
0: Yeah, Lamar Jackson. There's two ways that which I could stomach that. I think number one, I get to choose the two first round picks that go. Because if I sit there and say, okay, you get our number twelve this year. And you get Cleveland's first round next year. So that means you keep number two overall and you keep your first round pick the next year. Then you can sit there and say, What can I add it? You know, that that's when you start talking about. It. I can add Lamar Jackson and Jalen Carter. Ooh, you know. That, that, but I don't think I, I don't know what the rules are about that and I don't know if that if, if Baltimore's Baltimore's gonna definitely want that number two overall pick because they, they want to pick their guy that, of the future. The second thing with Lamar Jackson is it would have to be because I Greg Roman did some great things with him, but that offense had a ceiling. And it had a ceiling partially because you know they didn't never have the receivers, but partially because you know Lamar Jackson has limitations and he gets injured, you know, because with all the running he does. Do you have the faith that Bobby Slowick Could design an offensive system that is going to, number one, take advantage of all of his capabilities, but also make it to where he's more likely to be there all 17 weeks? The answer is yes. And you're giving up number 12 in next year's Cleveland pick. Then I could sit there and go, okay, I could, you know, I could see that line of thinking. So I feel team. like
1: the more likely scenario with a pick is they're gonna you're gonna have to give up two this year and keep twelve, because twelve is the Browns pick. Right. I, I feel like right. I feel like most in the most likely scenario you're giving up two, you're keeping twelve. So then does that change your opinion of it, Scott? Is if you're if you're picking twelfth and you, you know, theoretically your next two picks are Lamar Jackson.
0: Yeah, I think that, that would be the deal breaker for me. Uh, and I think, you know. So you mentioned Brandon Cooks. So let's say we trade Brandon Cooks for another third rounder, and now that you know you've got three third round picks, right? And so you let's say you get lucky, and let's say you use draft capital to trade up to number one with Chicago. So you get your Bryce Young. Now you've got your Bryce Young. You're sitting there at round three, and there's Hinden Hooker. You thinking about taking him? because you know, the good thing is there's people that think he's almost to the level of those top four guys if it wasn't for the ACL tear. Well, now you've got a, you got Bryce Young who's going to be starting a quarterback day one, so Hinden Hooker doesn't have to play to begin with, but Hinden Hooker is a guy that has at least physically similar skills as Bryce Young. And see, and that's where, to me, whoever you take in the, in the draft scenario, my number one rule has to be better than Davis Mills. That's the number one thing. If they're better than Davis Mills, better prospect Davis Mills. I'm on board. But the second thing is, is if you can get it, is if you can get two guys that have a similar style. Because the worst thing you could do, like if you were Lamar Jackson, would have been to like to keep Joe Flacco around, but like, okay, here's Lamar Jackson running around everywhere around the field. Here's Joe Flacco that can't run anywhere. That's a horrible situation to be in. What you want is you want a guy. And this is why they ended up you know, bringing in the backup quarterbacks that they did, is they were all mobile. So they could all run that system at least to some proficient level. The second advantage of having that second drafted rookie is that they're on the rookie contract just like your first-round pick is on that rookie contract. You're not signing the veteran. So now you've got – you know, right now they said Texas have $41 million in cap space. They can create more if they sign – Laramie Tunsil to an extension, they could shave off $10 million, like immediately, boom. Uh, so now you're talking about $50 million. And if you cut a few guys like a Christian Kirksey and maybe um, Jerry Hughes or, you know, people like that, you could get upwards up to $60 plus million just by cutting three or four guys who, at the end of the day, are not really a huge part of your future. So now you have $60 million cash space. And you don't have to buy any free agent quarterbacks. Think about what you can do. You can get Javon Hargraves out of Philadelphia. You'd stick him in the middle of your defense. Holy crap. Could you imagine if we did that and, say, drafted Jalen Carter? You had both of them on the interior of your defensive line? I mean, that would just be, you'd be crazy good, you know, overnight. So... I like the idea of drafting two quarterbacks because I like the idea that number one they're both cheap, and two it's it's another lottery ticket. I mean, it's you know we find you find guys all the time. Dak Prescott's a fourth rounder. Uh, everybody knows Tom is a sixth rounder. Russell Wilson's a third rounder. You know, you know there are guys who are found later on in the draft. The thing is, is that you can't that can't be your plan. Your plan can't be oh, we'll just pick a quarterback late and hope he works out. But what your plan could be is we're going to pick a quarterback high up and we're going to pick another guy lower down. You know, Stetson Bennett's another name that people might consider later in the draft, you know, fifth, sixth round. Uh, Max Duggan. Um, I heard somebody today say that they thought he was going to be a second rounder, and I think about spit out my drink. Um I mean, he's gonna be he's gonna be fourth, fifth, sixth rounder. Yeah, to me, Doug is. You know, a, let's say you want to make a, a day a three kind of guy,
1: play. maybe a, the end of your a track, Mr. Irrelevant, your he's... last selection.
0: Just take a flyer on a quarterback. What's what's it gonna harm? I mean, if you take a sixth round pick because we don't have any seventh rounders right now, you take a sixth round pick on your quarterback. How many sixth rounders really are long term players for your team that make a huge difference? They're not.
1: Five percent, ten percent of the picks? They're
0: special teamers, right? I mean they're they're you know, God love them, but he's a TCU Horde frog, Garrett Wallow. He's I mean, he's not a he, he's not a future linebacker. He's a he's a guy you throw in on special teams. He's a sixth round pick. So you know, you got the the quarterback Dorian uh, Robinson out of uh, UCLA He's another guy who's an athlete. To me, if you get a guy that has athletic gifts, that you could sit on the bench. Who's to say they can't develop? I mean, that's the same thing we're talking about with Anthony Richardson, except with Anthony Richardson, if you're picking him number two overall, he's not sitting. He's playing. You pick a guy in a fifth, sixth round, you don't have to play him. He could go the whole year, never play it down. Nobody's going to care. But, you know, especially if you pick those athletic guys, you know, now you're starting to talk like they did that with, you know, the Jeff Driscoll experience where they said, oh, he's so athletic because they he got to find
1: a, a way to get him on the field
0: where he could, because he could run a four, six forty, except that's all he could do was run a four, six forty. He couldn't do anything else. Well, let's say you honest to God get somebody who is fast and athletic, you know, it has those fast twitch muscles where they can, you know make guys miss. Now you're talking about like, you know what, the Saints are doing with Taysom Hill. You know, Taysom Hill, I mean, if you were left to be the quarterback of that team, they might win only four or five games. But when you sprinkle him in as a tight end or you sprinkle him in as a running back or those gadget plays, you know, he, he creates some stuff. So you pick a guy in the fifth or sixth round who you could stick on the field every now and then
1: to do something. That could be worth your while. Yeah, 10, 10 snaps a game maybe in certain scenarios. I could see that with a, a Duggan type of guy. Um, it's tough. I mean, it's the thing about Tayson Hill, right, is he's got the size and speed combination, where that's a pretty rare scenario where someone who has those attributes falls on the draft, right? Because we're seeing it with Richardson. He has the size and he has the speed. He He would be the ideal candidate, for someone you would think would fall down, you could pick later in the draft, and that's your guy. You know, great athletic talent, but you know, didn't really do a lot in college. So it's tough to find that, but I do, I do like that idea, and I do think that. Um, that I, I like the two quarterback idea. I really do. I just you got to make sure, you know, even like Cousins, he had you know one of those guys is going to be uncomfortable, right? RG three knew that two guys came into the room at the same time. So if you do that, you've got to anoint the thing is you've got to anoint one of those guys as the guy from day one. And so that means that you've got to be really comfortable with whoever that guy you pick at two, you better be darn sure that you're, you're fine. The moment this guy gets off the plane in Houston, he's your starting quarterback. Otherwise you're running, you're entering camp with, you know, a quarterback controversy. And, you know, I think then, most times I think in that scenario you end up with nothing anytime you've got two quarterbacks you got nothing Um, I I like the idea of of drafting someone who's got similar skill set for the backup you know it, it drove me crazy with some of the backups they bring in for Deshaun Watson right like the guy is unbelievably mobile I get there's only one Deshaun Watson but you know who's not even close is AJ McCarron and he was here to back him up for quite some time period and it's just like I get that the backup needs a certain mindset and thought process and preparedness, yada, yada, yada. But you shouldn't have to run a completely different offense when the backup's in the game. Do you got to dumb it down a little bit? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But you got one guy who's a, a mobile create play on the outside, you know, can put the ball in his hands and let him go to work. And then the other side, you've got a statue who, can deliver the football, and he's not the worst quarterback in the world. But he's not mobile. He's not going to run the same offense that Sean Watson ran. So, what are we doing?
0: Right, and, and I—that's why I think uh, the, the names that that really intrigue me are, I think, Hinton Hooker, because I think in that scenario he's not going to be the guy coming in because he won't be healthy. It has to be, you know, you're, you're the guy you drafted first. But you know, assuming that he recovers from the ACL tear, which you know guys are doing more and more often, he's an athletic guy. You know, he could do those things. Uh, Max Duggan, uh, I think he ran a four five three at the combine. I can tell you that he is pretty limited in terms of his arm.
1: Um, I mean, he's he's a, a ginger right-handed Tebow, essentially, in my opinion. Like he he's not someone who's going to win you. A Super Bowl, but again, we're looking for like you said, ten plays max. Right? Can you give me? Can you give me something ten? And you don't have to get the. You don't even have to get the ball ten times, right? I'm gonna line you up ten times. Maybe throw it to you three, so they don't know when it's coming.
0: Right, and, and just to tell you a little story about uh, to, uh, about Max Duggan because I, I know this well, and this is why this kind of fits. He was not the starting quarterback to start the season. Uh, for the Horned Frogs this year, uh, it was Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris uh, last year he came in. Uh, well, I guess I guess now the season before last, um, Baylor's coming in top twenty. Max Duggins hurt. Chandler Morris is playing. Chandler Morris beats Baylor. We we're not even a bowl team. We we weren't even bowl eligible. This is you know after they'd hardly fired Gary Patterson. I mean we have an interim coach in there. Chandler Morris, you know, leads them. And he was an Oklahoma uh, recruit that ended up transferring. So he opens the year as the starting quarterback. He is, It was well known that he was going to run, you know, that he was going to start the year as the quarterback. Max Duggan could have transferred out. He could have entered the portal. He could have gone to a lot of different places and been guaranteed playing time. He didn't want to. He is a. He was a horned frog through and through. And so he stuck around. Chandler Morris gets hurt. The first game against Colorado, and the rest is history. He finishes second in the Heisman vote. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because you mentioned the attitude. I think the attitude is so very important. The attitude of, I'm going to accept my role on the team. And he accepted his role on the team. His role was to be supportive of Chandler Morris until it was his time to go in and play. And it could be the same here. His role, let's say you draft Bryce Young. His role would be to support Bryce Young, and and he would do that. I think, and I don't think anybody would ever think, "Well, gee, who's going to quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Bryce Young or Max Duggan?" I don't think anybody's going to be that stupid.
1: Uh, well, I I guarantee you, someone will be that stupid, but yeah, a majority I, of fans, a majority of fans would not.
0: But I think the key is, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that those guys have to get it. Those guys. Because that was the problem when we uh, when the Oilers drafted Steve McNair. Chris Chandler was supposed to be the stopgap. He didn't buy into that, and it may have you know hurt Steve McNair's development. You know, at a certain point, maybe Steve McNair plays in year two instead of year three if Chris Chandler is more receptive to what his role is going to be. And if you're signing a, a veteran quarterback, the veteran quarterback knows the number two quarterback's going to be the guy. So who are you getting in that instance? And is that guy better than Davis Mills? Because one thing that I mentioned in the article, and this is true, uh, Nick Casario, D'Amico Rines, they both said the same exact thing about the quarterback room. We have one quarterback under contract. At no point has anybody said Davis Mills' name since D'Amico Rines has been hired. Nobody has mentioned Mills' name. They said we have one quarterback. We know it's Mills, but they know they can't move forward with Davis Mills as a starting quarterback. They know this. So the question then becomes do you go out and sign like a Jacoby Brissett or an Andy Dalton or um, Cooper Rush or, you know, whatever, and hope that they're better than Davis Mills? I think Jacoby Brissett is. I think Andy Dalton is, but how much better are they? And ultimately, it's the same question that uh, that the Saints are going to have to ask for themselves. Is Derek Carr better than Andy Dalton? Of course he is. How much better is he than Andy Dalton? Yeah. Is he good enough to get you to a Super Bowl? Yeah. And that's where the, court, the veteran quarterback carousel gets you, is that you get these guys who... We all agree, probably not the guy, but they're okay. You could win some games with them.
1: Yeah. It's
0: not a good feeling.
1: So, obviously, we've talked about Scott, how the, the Combine has made guys' this career and, and people have shot up the, the draft board because of the Combine. And, and we talked a little bit about Carter falling. That's more from off-the-field stuff that came out while he was at the combine. You know, one of the other things that happens is is not only do players, you know, coaches and GMs fall in love with players, but sometimes some things stick out to to guys that they don't like, right? And there's guys who, even though you've got great tape on somebody, uh, you get to the combine and, and, you know, you see them in person and and you, you get the measurements and you see how many bench press reps they can do, whatever, and guys fall. Right, guys. Draft stock starts to fall a little bit because they weren't there for the combine, you know. And and this year it's it's you know Jordan Addison from USC, the wide receiver, didn't look great when he was running routes. It's Keishon Booty, the wide receiver from LSU, didn't look great while he was running routes. And I think some of that can be excused when you don't have a any connection with the quarterback that's throwing that route to you. But also, I'm curious, just in your opinion, Scott and how much does a, a bad combine day sway you? Cause I go two ways on it, right? It's just one day when you've got a whole season's worth of tape to put out there. But at the same time, you know, you knew that this day was coming and this was, you know, a job interview or a big opportunity for you and you didn't take advantage of it. Does that say that you're not somebody who's going to perform in the clutch? You know, there's two ways to look at that. So I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Scott, but you know, we've talked about the, the, the risers of the combine, how do you feel about guys who maybe fall?
0: I think it, it honestly, in my opinion, it depends on why are they falling? Um, what are you, because we talked about, you know, with Richardson, the standing broad jump. Let's say C.J. Stroud is only able to broad jump five feet instead of 10 feet. Let's say his vertical leap is only 20 inches instead of 40. Now, what I did hear with CJ Stroud is that some people didn't like some of his answers, you know, to some of the questions. And that's where, you know, the teams get 15 minutes with these guys. Nobody knows what's said behind closed doors. You referenced the fact that some people ask some very cringe worthy questions. Uh, the NFL just came out and said that they're going to actually start fighting teams and taking draft picks if they're asking certain questions that are actually illegal that you're not allowed to ask during an interview process. Like you cannot ask a player if he's gay. I mean, and and there's been teams that have done that in the past, but if you go through a, a rigorous interview process and you add to that, you know, some other things that you may hear from scouts, I can see souring on a guy, you know, based on his answers to you, based on what you, uh, In conjunction with, and to me, that's the key term, in conjunction with, because it always has, you always have to attach something else to it. Because, you know, these guys are doing cone drills, they're doing bench presses, they're doing things that, at best, have a minimal connection to what is actually done on a football field. I mean, we've heard countless stories about guys who are fast in pads, so what that means is in underwear they run a four seven or a four eight, but you know, like you know, say like a Zach Thomas when he you know went into the NFL. Zach Thomas didn't test all that well, but David he was a Hall of Fame football player uh, because he he played fast, he could read defenses, he could, you know, he could do those things. Um, so my question is is, is is a long answer to your question is why are they falling? If we're falling because of these tests that don't really do anything, have anything to do with football, then that's stupid. If they're falling because, you know, we can make an honest-to-God connection with what's going on in a football field. I mean, the most famous example, I don't even think they do the wonderlick test anymore. Uh, but I want to say Vince Young made like what? Like a three out of 50 or something like that. And the Wonderlick test may not mean anything, but the fact is that Fitz Young wasn't a bright guy. Now, I think he could have been put into an offense that could have been take, taken advantage of his talents a whole lot better. But the fact is is that there weren't a lot of offenses he was going to work well in because he just didn't have the chops. And that you know that's ultimately a question about Anthony Richardson. you know you mentioned football IQ. That's where if there's something in an interview, at the combine, that makes you think, "Gee, I don't know how bright this guy really is." That's important. If it's, "Gee, uh, you know that shuttle cone drill, he didn't really do all that fast," or "Gee, he only did ten reps of two hundred twenty pounds bench press." You know, this guy did thirteen. Uh, you know, to me, it has to be backed up with what you're you're finding out behind these you know, behind the scenes. The scouts, coaches, you've got to be backed up with what are you seeing on tape. You have to put all these things together, you know, to give you a whole picture of a player.
1: Scott, have you ever heard of Pat McNally? Yes. Yes. I oh, have. that's. I had not until I just looked up who's got the highest Wonderlick score of all time, and that's who it is. And it just goes to show you, right? It doesn't necessarily matter. He's not somebody that. Is a household name. He's not somebody that everybody remembers, but he scored well on this test. And I think
0: I looked it up one time, that's why I do.
1: Right, but it's not you don't remember him for any of his stats, any any big plays he made in any game. I mean, you're right, Vince Young got a six on his his Wonder Lick, but you know, Michael Vick got a twenty. You know, that also with the same score as Robert Griffin, Jake Locker, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, every testing I don't care what you do with tests, right? I, I more, you know, John Gruden used to do the, the sit-downs with college quarterback prospects, right? And they'd, they'd just talk about plays. They'd run through plays and tell me what you saw here, break this one down for me. That's much more valuable to me than, than any kind of wonderlick score that you could have. So, I mean, that one's just ridiculous. But when, you know, some of the guys that they're talking about as combine losers, it's you know, like Jordan Addison from, from USC. He's a guy who... Size-wise, 5'11", 170, 175, you don't know nothing strikes out there. So when you see him in person, you're a little worried about him. Then, you know, he had a subpar 40th, 4'49". Then he only had a 34-inch vertical. It's like, okay, that's great. This guy scored 26 touchdowns <laughs> in his last 25 games in the Pac-12. So it's not like he was going against poor competition either. So it's – I think – you're right. It depends on why a guys dropping. If he's dropping because he didn't run a great 40, that doesn't bother me as much. If I if I turn, you know, Jerry Rice famously didn't run a great 40, and there's still plenty of DBs who got absolutely roasted by Jerry Rice. You know, these guys are not track stars. They are not guys who have been running from blocks for more than, you know, the season ended in January, So they've been doing it for like three months, training for the NFL draft. So it's not, it's a, you're right. Game speed and this speed is totally different. Obviously we want to get some metrics on people if you're going to invest this much money in it, but it's become such a production that, I mean, they, they got live coverage of this thing for three or four straight days that you almost can't not do this stuff now. Even though we know, how much does a forty time really translate? You can watch a guy on screen and know he's fast. Do we need to know exactly how fast he is? Probably not. But you can sell it on TV for four straight days, so we can't not do it anymore. And so I think, um, I, I I mean, I get why they do the combine, but it's just so overrated. It really is. Your the biggest thing you can do for me is is what you put on tape and any kind of conversations and and you know thoughts and, and, and that process with the coaches, all the other stuff besides that, it really just lets me know that you kept yourself in game shape between the end of the season. And now
0: I guarantee you, and, and you mentioned, uh, the movie draft day in a previous episode. Um, and I guarantee, and, and they mentioned the fact that there was like a little test that they did with the playbook and they put a hundred dollar bill on the last page, you know, just to see who would be reading the great uh, the, the playbook and who wouldn't be the Texans are bringing all four of these top quarterbacks in. They're going to give them a dummy playbook. They're going to have them come in the next day. And they're going to sit there and do go to the, you know, to the whiteboard, just like you mentioned with John Gruden. And they're going to do that. They're going to walk through for hours watching how these guys process. If they don't, they're incompetent. And, and I wouldn't trust them to pick a quarterback. If they're going to base a, a quarterback pick on a 15 minute interview, you or I can nail a 15-minute interview about quarterback play. And and I haven't thrown a football in, you know, darn near 30 plus years. But you and I can nail an interview. I mean, we know the the things that, you know, people want to hear. But that's gonna be the key, is when these four guys, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, I mentioned CJ Stroud that some people didn't like some of his answers. He compared himself to Deshaun Watson. Oh dear. Oh, we can't do that. Um, but what I want to know is where's is this guy going to be at day one? And I want to know that for with all four guys, how quickly are they going to pick up this offense? How much of this offense are they going to be able to run? And, and if you're a wide receiver, I want to know, you know, Hey, are you going to be a guy that's going to be willing to stay after practice maybe and work on that chemistry? Cause you mentioned, you know, Jordan Addison, you know, struggling, you know, with catching balls or, you know, running routes at the combine. Well, he's got guys throwing to him there that had never thrown him the ball before. Well, he gets drafted. He's going to get drafted. Is he going to be willing to work with whoever the quarterback is? Some people have mocked him at number 12. So let's say you get Bryce Young and Jordan Addison. Is Addison going to be a guy that's going to be willing to, you know, go and stay after practice and, and get some chemistry with Bryce Young? Um, is he a guy that you know you could work inside and outside? You know because you also got John Mechie who might be a slot guy. Um, that's going to be the big question because I guarantee you, I bet you Quentin Johnston, TCU probably tested better. I mean that guy is a freakish athlete, six foot four and fast, but he caught sixty balls one season, and a lot of those were downfield catches, but. You know, I don't know that he's a finished product yet. You mentioned Jordan Addison, 26 touchdowns in 25 games. It's just, that's impressive stuff. And I and, and at a certain point, I don't care who it's against. It's production. And to me, that's the number one question. Did you produce? I mean, there's been guys at the combine. The one name I remember, uh, I don't know. Do you remember Daryl Gardner?
1: What was that name one more time?
0: Daryl Gardner. No, I don't. This was, gosh, this was like 20, I think this was maybe back when I was in college. He went to Baylor. I think he had three sacks, maybe, like 10 tackles. But as a human mound of a guy, strong, fast, measured good at everything you measure, bench press, speed, agility gets drafted, I think, like 10th overall by the Dolphins because they're thinking, we're going to stick this guy inside. He's going to be a monster. Lo and behold, the pros, he gets like maybe two, three sacks, four or five tackles. He's doing nothing. Who would have thunk? There are some guys that are physically gifted who just can't do football-specific things. They're just not able to do it. I don't know why. It, It just happens. Um, and then there are guys who, you know, you look at them, they look awkward, but you put them on a football field, they produce. That's what you want to pay attention to. I mean, it's the same thing. We've, we talk golf here. We see people that have great golf swings that for some reason don't hit the ball well. We see people that have ugly swings that are great golfers. You know, it's just, you know, yeah, you have
1: to watch. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I think if, if you are out in a park and you saw someone throw the ball like Philip Rivers, you'd be like, who, who in the world got that guy to throw a football? You know, if, if, you didn't know that Philip Rivers was a Pro Bowl level quarterback, you'd, you'd look at that throwing motion and you'd, you'd, you'd have some serious issues with it. But, um, a combine workout alone means nothing to me. You know, it is to me. It should just it should just be that final check on all the other scouting that you've already done. If you've watched the tape, if you've done all the other work that you need to do, um, the combine's just that one last in-person eye test to make sure that, yeah, I, I did have this right. And yeah, let me get a chance to talk to this guy. Cause I wanted to clear up X, Y, and Z other than that. It's, it's entertainment. It's, it's, it's fun to watch, I guess. I don't really enjoy it that much, but Um, it's definitely overblown, but I don't think, I don't think it should have the, the impact on drafts that it does other than, you know, someone, someone shows up to this completely unprepared. I think that makes a statement about them as a huge, as someone who didn't prepare for the biggest job interview that they'll ever have. But besides that, it should just, it should just be a confirmation of what you've seen on tape.
0: Right. I think we're, we're getting to the point of the episode and I think we're, we're kind of easing into our sports scumbags of the week.
1: And yeah, I'll actually, I'll take the lead on this one, Scott. I'll let you go first on on the political one. But uh, if you don't mind. You will go, right ahead. go on. right ahead. Yeah. So a couple of days ago, the uh, University of Houston took on the Memphis Tigers. It was a pretty great basketball game. then ended with uh, a Jamal shed buzzer beater. Before the game, as the Houston Cougars were coming out of the locker room, you know, a little spirited competition, I, gamesmanship, I don't know what you want to call it, Memphis didn't exactly leave room for them to to run through and get to their area to warm up. And, and as they were kind of working their way through the line, one of the players, Kendrick Davis, Memphis's shooting guard starts shoving guys. Each one, as they come by, one by one, gives them a shove. Uh, and then, after the game, it was they lost. He, he had the audacity to say, I don't think Houston guards are all that great. Even though Houston guards had scored 81 points in two games against Memphis. And a Houston guard just hit the game winner against Memphis. And I, you know what? In the heat of competition, okay, whatever. But what I have a problem with is the shoves as, as the guys were running through, there's no need for that. I mean, Houston at least is well coached enough that they're not going to bite and they're not going to give you what you want right there, which is a pregame altercation. So that way your team has something to get themselves riled up on, but it's just, it's not classy. And I don't know why I I feel like I expect more from, from coach Penny Hardaway. I, I feel like I, I see Memphis as a rival, but I also respect the the program that Penny's built there. And so, to see that kind of behavior, uh, to me, that was real scumbag behavior and just a lack of uh, a lack of sportsmanship.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, for you guys, for the uh, say you guys, because I'm going to say you're you're a Cougar, so you're with those guys.
1: I, I will say I'm a Cougar, so that may influence my, my thought process on why that he's a scumbag, but, you know, to each his own. Uh,
0: the Cougars are moving into the Big 12 next year, and I'm here for it. You know, to me, it's – and I, I love the direction, you know, that that NCAA football, I don't know that I would have expanded it to 12, but I definitely would have expanded it to 8. I would have expanded it to the point where – Every conference gets an automatic bid because, you know, I think that just creates the conference play. It it just makes it that much more important and it makes it to where you can lose a football game and still be, you know, have a chance at the end of the day, because I'm sorry, you know, when you're going to throw in BYU, when you're throwing in U of H, when you're throwing in central Florida, when you're throwing in Cincinnati, you know, those are some, you know some great basketball schools there. Uh, you know, particularly obviously U of H and Cincinnati have been you know traditionally very strong. BYU kind of yeah, but you know football wise, and they're going to be in. I think uh, UT and uh, Oklahoma are going to be in for one year. So you know for one year it's going to be a 14 team conference, and that is just going to be it you know, just outright entertaining. And, you know, Memphis probably, you know, there's got to be something on some level where they feel jealous that they're not getting that shot. Should they get that shot? Probably in a basketball sense. Yeah. I think Memphis is definitely a, a top 100 program easily in the NCAA and probably a team that, you know, could be a perennial tournament team if they were in a power five conference, you know, they could do that, but there's got to be some hurt feelings there. And I think that's, that's where, um, uh, so you know, as I was saying, I think you know Memphis. Uh, there's probably some jealousy there, and you know, did they deserve better? Sure, you know, that's you know, we could argue about the NCAA system, but that kind of you know, kind of dives into my sports comeback of the week is which is which we've been talking about most of this episode about, and that is the whole cottage industry about uh, you know draft, scouting, and and pundits and and whatnot. And here here's a you know, everybody loves conspiracy theories. So I'm going to throw this one your way. Have you ever seen milk Kuiper and Santa Claus in the same place at the same time?
1: I, I haven't actually,
0: you know, Santa Claus works one day a year. milk Kuiper works. I guess now we've expanded it to a long weekend. Um, and I, and I don't want to poke fun at Mel. I mean, I I do want to poke fun at Mel Kiker, but, you know, I don't, you know, because he, he's he's he got a job, you know, and he's doing his job. You know, I always joked, you know, that his dad was a draft, you know, pundit back in the 60s who would dump on the Bears for drafting Gale Sayers and Dick Buckus in the same draft, you know. um, he, He's made some good picks over the years. I mean, he was on Josh Allen, you know, before Josh Allen became a thing. But you know, he's made some really bad picks. Really, my 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 frustration is not really so much with with Mel Kuiper, but so much um, or, or people like him, Andy Schefter or, you know, other your um McShea or any of those guys, but really it's how much stock we put into what they say. You know because you know they'll sit there and they'll talk about how oh this guy isn't a good value of where he's picked. Is he a good football player? Will he be a good football player for your team? If he is a good football player and he'll be a good football player for your team, who cares where he's picked? It could be a seventh round, third round, first round, doesn't matter. So, you know, in teams, and, and I love this, you know, we're gonna sit there and so you see you'll see it Friday morning, there will be grades on everyone's first round. What are we doing? What are we doing? Are we gonna give a team an A for Anthony Richardson? Really? We don't know what Anthony Richardson's gonna be. Nobody knows. You give me an A for getting Bryce Young and Jordan Addison if you're a Texans, okay. Or maybe Jackson Smith and Najimba, uh, okay, you know. But why are we doing you know, why are we focusing on graves? Well, it, it's to get clicks. It's to get attention. It's to do all these things. So, you know, when the Monday morning after the entire draft is done, you will see grades, and that's great. Do your grades, but you know, why are we putting stock into you know what any you know this jackass over here is saying? You know, um, you know, bill the town drunk in Winston Salem says that you know Bryce Young's going to be a great quarterback. Okay, great, fantastic. What I want to know is. Is he a good football player? Is he going to be a good football player for your team? Because there are a lot of excellent football players who have been picked by the wrong team. Maybe great value where you got them, but they don't match anything the coach does. Like if you're going to sit there and run like a Greg Roman offense and you're going to sit there and go, okay, uh, we're going to have uh, here we're going to draft this Tom Brady kid to run the Greg Romanoff. Roman That's like, I, mean, I don't know if Tom Brady could run from here to there, you know, any faster than you could clock him with us with a calendar, but Oh, it's good value. Good value. It's just silly.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's, it's the sports version of political punditry. It's, It's the offseason. Baseball's pretty dead, and there's no NFL. There's not a lot to talk about, and we have found a way as a society to be interested in the draft to the point where we have so much coverage. We're inundated. You're right. We're getting grades on the draft simply because there's no baseball yet, and all we have is the NBA and, and professional golf, and so
0: your Houston Rockets won two games in a row against the Spurs. Yeah, they
1: got blasted tonight, though. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They
0: did. It was a it was one eighteen ninety six, but they held the yeah. Nets.
1: Hey, they life, held the nets.
0: signs of life. They held that the Nets to only one hundred eighteen points. I mean, that's 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 good defense I'm, for your Rockets.
1: I'm glad you brought up the NBA because I was a little torn uh, on my scumbag this week, and so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and it's our show. We can do whatever we want. I'm going to take a second scumbag and. I'm sure you've seen what's going on with John Morant and the gun, right? He was waving a gun around, and now they're NBA is investigating if that gun traveled on a team plane from one spot to another. And I, I don't understand how a player of his caliber can can do something like that. We saw basically, you know, Gilbert Arenas' career. Ruined over bringing a gun to the stadium, and and everything changed in the NBA that day. I, I feel like there was a major discussion about players and guns after Gilbert Arenas showed up to the Washington Wizards locker room with a gun to collect on his his gambling winnings that were not being paid. And it was a major story, and 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 you haven't heard a word for the most, for, you know, especially nothing on a team facility wide And and now here's John Morant flashing a gun on his social media, bringing the gun with him. You've been given the keys, man, to life, like to have a great – you're set up beautifully. You've got an unbelievable talent. You've got a good team around you. You've got a city that loves you, and you are pissing it all away. And, and Scott, it's it's guys like that who, you know, from all everything I've seen, like he, he didn't grow up in the streets. He had a pretty middle-class life, and he's choosing – to go out and portray himself in this way of the thug life or the gangster life or whatever you want to call it. And all you're doing is jeopardizing everything that you've worked so hard for. And you're jeopardizing everything everyone else in that locker room has worked hard for. Because if you take John Morant off that Grizzlies team, they're not the same team. And you're going to destroy everybody else's season because you want to be stupid and flash a gun around and look hard. That, again, another Pretty scumbaggy move there.
0: Right. And I think you look at uh, just the, the practical things right now, they're what a number two or number three seed right now, but they're like two or three games separate from being six or seven. You know, so he's going to miss two games, two games without suspicion. What I never have understood, and because and, I think there's some people who are saying, well, maybe he's being threatened or maybe, you know, it's like, okay, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, I've never been a Cowboys fan. I've always made fun of the Cowboys. But when they got desperate, they did the smartest thing that any team could do. They sat there and said, okay, we know you've gotten into some trouble in the past. We're going to get you a bodyguard. It's going to go everywhere where you go. Why don't teams do this just on the regular? Like, you know what? James Harden, you want to go to the club. You want to just let, you know, you want to make it raid. You know, throw all this money at strippers. Hey, we're going to send a guy or two with you who's going to do nothing. You know, but make sure that nobody hassles you. Teams can hire you know a security force that you know you could send that any where uh, a, a player could sit there and say, "Hey, I want to go out tonight. Can you send a guy with me?" that guy could carry a gun. Player doesn't need to carry it. Player doesn't need to mess with that stuff. I mean, John Morant right now, I, I don't know what his annual salary is off the top of my head. Is it 10 million? Is it 15 million? Is it 20 million? Really? It doesn't matter. I mean, at, at, you know, at a certain point, because, you know, he's also got, you know, endorsements, he's probably got a shoe contract. So, you know, how much money is he making total? I, I could you know, have risk to guess, but if you're making, Say thirty million annually. How much does it cost to hire a private security? A million? I wouldn't even think that much.
1: It's so, probably. I mean, I'd say probably a million is accurate for everything he'd need. But then it's, neglig- it's It's a lot of money, but it's negligible when you're making that much money per year, right? It's a. It's a reasonable expense. I just don't think it's an image thing for him, right? It's not that he needs the security of of the gun, he wants to look a certain way. It's it's image. He wants to portray a certain image on social media, and, and I think that is more of the issue. I don't think he's got anyone stepping to him in the streets to where he needs to carry that gun. I think he wants to carry that gun because he wants to look like no one should step to him.
0: And this is the lesson that I want people to you know, want people to learn. Uh, and then, and then, when, as a teacher, this is the lesson I want people to learn. You mentioned Gilbert Arenas. Gilbert Arenas' career was basically destroyed, but you left out certain parts there. And the certain parts that you left out is that he got hurt. He got hurt and he became less effective. Because this is this is the honest to God truth where you're talking about basketball, football, life. If you get to be a guy that can give me 20 points and 10 rebounds. At a certain level, I don't care if he's a thug, but the minute he becomes a little less effective, then uh, that thug behavior's, you know, John Moran, he could be a twenty-point a game, ten-assist guy. You know, very few of those in basketball. I mean, I think Harden might be the only one right now in the NBA as far as a guard that does that. I think Jokic does that. You know, as a, as a center. But the thing is, is in life, if you are the top one percent of what you do, people will put up with your bullshit. They will. You've got talent. Put up with it. Doesn't matter what lock lock of life is. I mean, uh, Tim wants to be an announcer. If Tim were, you know, the number one announcer ever, he could be the biggest asshole there ever was. And they'll put up with it because Tim's great. Because, but what happens though? When Tim starts to slip a little bit, he becomes not great, but good. Are they going to put up with that? Are they going to put up with the asshole behavior anymore? And that's where John Morant needs to understand. Is John Morant now, he's in his 20s. He is in the prime of his life. He is on top of everything in terms of you know his basketball skill set. He is probably, you know I think, easily pure physical talent, one of the top five players in the NBA, easily. I don't know if he actually is a top-five player, but talent-wise he is. What happens when he turns 30? Maybe we're just not quite as fast as we used to be or can't jump quite as high as we used to be. Or maybe when I get injured, I'm I'm not coming right back in the second half. Maybe I'm having to take a game or two off. What happens then? Our teams going to put up with that or not? And it's the same thing in life. You know, you could be a, the best teacher ever. You could be the best policeman ever. You could be the best doctor ever. You could be the best broadcaster ever. You could be the best anything. But the moment you, your skills start to slip, when you know, does that company sit there and say you're just not worth it anymore? I
1: think you hit the you hit the nail on the head there. The moment. The moment you become a distraction and you're not in a net positive, you're just not worth it on the team. And obviously Jaws someone you're willing to put up with it for right now. But the moment that he doesn't blow by guys anymore, the moment he's not jumping out of the gym and he's now a fifteen point bench score for you, giving you twenty five minutes a game in his thirties, you're right. You're gonna cut your career short and you know, not get to have the legacy that you wanted to have because you couldn't control yourself, you couldn't behave and you couldn't do the things you need to do to be a good teammate. Um, And it's, it's, he's young ish. We'll see what happens. You know, this goes back to last week's conversation about one and duns. you know, guys, you don't get that opportunity to have the right kind of maturity and seasoning in college. And now they're put right in front of a national audience at 22 years old, where that would have been their senior year in college. Now you're third year in the NBA. So I think that goes back into it too, but Scott, unless you got anything else you wanted to throw in, uh, I think we're kind of pulling this ship into port here for the week. Uh, that sounds
0: like a that sounds like a plan.
1: Well, real quick, how can uh, everybody
0: find you? Uh, I'm on the Twitter at sbarzilla, um, and uh, you can find my articles on the Texans at Battle Red Blog. Uh, definitely referenced a couple of them here. We talked about the quarterbacks. I have one up that's up right now about drafting two quarterbacks. And I write the occasional blog post at thehallofameindex.com
1: Well, there you have it. I'm at Tim underscore Costello 10 on Twitter. Uh, a lot of action happening here over the next week. I'm, I'm sure Scott and I are going to be both paying close attention to uh, the WBC World Baseball Classic as that kicks off. Um, only something I enjoy every, Italy. every four years. <laughs> so to Italy. I obviously get a root for team USA, but you know, in the, in the corner of my eye, I'm definitely, you know, team Venezuela, Jose Altuve. Hopefully he has a nice showing as well.
0: Yeah. Fortunately, Ireland doesn't have a team, so you can't, uh, get root for the Irish. Oh.
1: Uh, what are you going to do? But, That's all we have for you this week. We are so thankful for everybody who joined us, made us a part of your week. Uh, Until next week, we have been Scott and Tim, and this has been the Snap Hook. Thank you for tuning into the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We we'll look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.